When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! with another episode of Weird Algorithm. Matthew, we covered a parody. Yes. And now we get to cover our first Weird Al original. That's right. And something that I picked up on while doing this research that I didn't, I I don't think this ever really went through my head until we started doing this podcast, really. There's not really that, there's one style parody on this entire album. And then the, the rest are just originals like they're different genres maybe but it's not like he's trying to ape a specific artist yeah they're really just songs they're just you know these and again eclectic sort of sounds although not nearly as eclectic as he became later for sure and we got to talk about this is i'll play my card right now Mm -hmm. my least favorite song on the album that we're talking about okay okay got a boogie i think the problem with this song is the length to me like <laughs> this is a song that should have been like a 30 second interlude <laughs> yeah. i don't think it need to be like a full three minute song <laughs> well so and now this is where it gets interesting because obviously lyrically we don't have a lot to talk about with this track this is a pretty <laughs> in terms of the joke it's pretty straightforward it tells <laughs> you what the joke is right away and we're gonna just run with it the entire time <laughs> uh there's really nothing else uh from from lyric one you know everything you need to know about got a boogie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a boogie on my finger and I can't get it off. That's yeah. that's but there was a certain point when I was because I very rarely listen to this song mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the time because I, I was listening to these all on YouTube because I figured that was the quickest way to like find out if there was other videos that I could watch like live performances or whatever. Yeah. And I haven't thought about the song in a really long time and I'm looking at the time 
as the lyrics start and I'm already like a minute into the song and I literally found myself wondering is this the only lyric in the song? <laughs> like, it's... There's a couple extra lines that he throws in in the middle. No, it eventually to... gets a verse yeah. there, but yeah, for a long time a I was like, man, I think this is a one-sentence song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. His early version of uh, this song's just six words long, or however many it, words. <laughs> for for real, for real. I know, but right? I know what you're about to say, because I actually do think that this song has a fantastic like drum-bass intro. Like Musically, yeah. this song is actually great. So so the funny, the memory I have, to be honest, this song never really resonated with me either until I did the play along. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we talked about this in a previous episode, but during the height of the pandemic, I made a challenge for myself where <laughs> I wanted to learn how to play every single song in Weird Al's catalog. I did it with Weezer first, and then that was fun, and then I moved on to Weird Al. It was the next thing alphabetically in the record it, collection. It, it, yeah, on my shelf, that was just the next <laughs> thing sitting there. And I just drove myself absolutely crazy learning how to play all this music and then perform it on Twitch. It was basically my version. It was my COVID version of Bo Burnham's Inside. Yes. <laughs> it was me doing this and losing my mind. And I started I started chronologically. I mean, I knew how to play some of this stuff just because of the parody nature yeah. of some of the songs, yeah. but I started at the beginning of album one. So we start uh, Ricky... Got it. No problem. I learned that fairly quickly. It's straightforward. And then this song starts and I immediately go, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> I have created an impossible task for myself. This is so challenging <laughs> because this, this is, and what I think is interesting about this, and you know, we were talking about some of Weird Al's influences in the previous episode, but this to me channels a big influence that we did not mention, which is... Frank Zappa. Yes. No, there's a there's a Zappa nature here. Yeah, the complete goofy nonsense lyric that is surrounded by intense musicianship and yeah. serious riffing and playing all over the place. Like the the bass and drum parts in this song, the song changes key, I think at least three times in going through these moves. You don't even really notice it. It has that weird bridge where he, they're doing these like chromatic octave parts and I'm a little bit of music speak for the people here who know what I'm talking about, but it is to sit down and like go through this. It's, it's basically playing with like a minor key blues thing, but it is really, really intense in its like arrangement and composition. And I hear that's all I think about when I listen to this now is Zappa, who is someone who would disarm you with a goofy lyric and then kind of stun you with the music that was behind that lyric. Yeah. I, I think something that you'll learn fairly quickly on this podcast and we'll we'll start that praise right here on episode three honestly as much as this is a weird owl fan podcast this is also a jim west steve J, and john mm -hmm. schwartz fan podcast because those those three dudes that like solid rhythm section yeah are some of the most underappreciated musical Without talents in the history of music. <laughs> like, Without a doubt. I, I think it's a testament to the quality of Al's music and all of their music, to be real, that he has really maintained. He's That same lineup has been with him from this record, from the very beginning. Again, we said with the exception of Jim West joined to tour this record. The guitars on this record are Rick Derringer, but he has been there really since the beginning regardless. This is like the most fun job in the world for these guys. They get to play everything with such incredible, with virtuoso performances of every genre of music imaginable, it is no small task <laughs> what these guys do. Did you uh, happen to watch the Sparks Brothers documentary that dropped on Netflix? <laughs> I did. And you know what's even more funny is I saw Sparks in New York last night. Oh, nice. <laughs> we didn't talk about that at all. But that's like, I was at the show last night 
So yes, I am familiar with Sparks. But Weird Al appears frequently throughout that documentary, mm-hmm. and I think he says he says a line that I think is the heart and soul of both the band Sparks as well as the heart and soul of Weird Al, which is mm-hmm. he says, "In America, no one thinks that you can be serious while you're being funny." And right. like, I think that there is. We're going to this album. We maybe won't dive into some of the times where there is like a slightly deeper meaning to the goofy song. This is pretty much just like Mad Magazine goofy for goofy's sake. But I think from a musicianship standpoint, some of these songs are legitimate, like musical theory masterpieces. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, But because it's about a booger on a finger at a disco, like people are just like, whatever. (laughs) Well, I get the clear sense, and especially as we go on and we talk about the parodies on this record and all of this stuff, I think at this stage, what I can tell, and this is just me speculating, but it sounds to me like Al on these originals, generally speaking across all of these originals, is the lyrics are goofy, but he is going out of his way to say, musically, I'm not messing around. Yeah. (laughs) This is for real. I think he went into the studio knowing that he was being perceived as a one-hit wonder novelty act and wanted... It's kind of that that idea of like you only get one chance to make your first record type deal Mm -hmm. where it's like, look, if this is... This is the only thing I'm ever going to record. I want to make sure that it is as musically interesting as I can possibly make it. Because it could have been... 13 tracks of him with an accordion and John Schwartz banging on a accordion case. Yeah, it could have been 13 versions of Another One Rides the Bus. Yeah. And then we, without a doubt, would not be talking about Al today. No, 100%. I mean, that, yeah, he, he chose to take it in this direction where it was just like, I'm going to command respect of anyone who's willing to give me a shot at that. Yes. And, uh, and again, it's the reason why in the music community he is so well respected because anyone can listen to this stuff and just be like, whoa. This is you you can't fake this. No. And I want to go on a slight tangent off of yeah. Weird Al a little bit, but still tied to the concept of God a Boogie. Um, because we are talking about like these crazy musical compositions. And mm. I'm sure you, like me, grew up, you know, in the nineties. Our only real vibe of the seventies was essentially like the disco sucks concept. Yes. And only very recently have I started to look back at disco records and be like, holy shit, these are masterpieces. Like, they are insane. And a big part, I mean, near and dear to your heart, some of the greatest bass lines you'll ever find were incredible in stuff. Songs. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So I want to know some of your thoughts on disco. Let's let's yeah. do a little disco well, conversation. This is great, actually. So first of all, because now I'm going to segue into something else. We just referenced it for people listening. If you are not familiar or you have not seen the Sparks Brothers documentary, oh, I cannot recommend that enough. It is an incredible story, an amazing band, an insane story. Like you will not believe the story of this band that you have probably not heard of, and don't feel bad because most people haven't. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. But yeah, it's amazing. And Al is all over it. So definitely recommended for that alone. But 
another one, going back to the disco thing, is there is a documentary that I watched. This was another COVID thing for me. There's a documentary about the Bee Gees okay. on HBO. I think it's called How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And it's super interesting because it basically talks about how it's it's kind of tragic. The Bee Gees heard they were not a disco band you know they were a almost like a folk rock band they had these like very folky songs they heard disco records and the disco records blew their minds and they were like oh my god this is amazing we have to do this and so they made disco records but using all of the same guys they grabbed musicians producers it was a very you know like they really went into the disco black and in often cases um lgbt community was all around disco at that time and we're like, we want to make a record with you. And they did. And the success of the Bee Gees kind of killed disco. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting in the movie because these guys, like, the, they became the face of disco and they became a punchline on every radio station. And they're one of those bands now. Yeah, like in 2022, if you ask any serious musician, they will tell you that the Bee Gees releases are some of the most, like, musically incredible things that have ever been put out. It's incredible stuff, but it was like they kind of unwittingly... And it's kind of heartbreaking. Again, they, 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 you can tell they're interviewed and they feel bad. They were like, we inadvertently destroyed a genre that we loved yeah. by making it into a punchline. It's a really interesting. And there's like, I'll let you watch the movie if you haven't. I highly recommend it because it gets into, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on behind the scenes of like how that happened. And a few radio stations really started the Disco Sucks movement. Um it's fascinating. But yeah, no, if you haven't already, those records, if you go back and listen to them, man, they are some incredible, Even just there's some on... incredible music, incredible production, the sound, yeah. uh, the songwriting. It's all just really, really top notch. Even just throw on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Like there is not a bad song on That's that true. entire soundtrack. It's true. <laughs> it's, yeah. There uh, was it like the Night at Disco Mountain that like blends the disco beat like the way that they would blend classical music with those disco beats i even love star wars disco all like 17 <laughs> minutes of that thing is yeah, awesome yeah. to me yeah yeah, but yeah yeah i can see where that's more towards the joke era where it's like all right let's just like throw this dancey beat over top of the star wars theme and call it a day <laughs> but i love it i'll tell you one of the songs the song that actually got me to start paying attention to disco again and it was a song I had heard a million times, but you know how like you can hear a song a thousand times, but then there's that one time that you truly hear that song. Yeah, was um don't don't leave me this way. <laughs> like listen to that song and the way that that song builds until you get to that final like baby my heart is full of love and I'm like oh my god this is so good. <laughs> it's so funny because that was a song I heard that as a teenager and you were talking about disco baselines. The baseline yeah. in that song is out of control. It's awesome and it's super busy and it's bouncing all over the place. And I heard that and I loved it. When I was, not surprisingly, we talked about this a little bit. As a kid, I was just a straight like punk rock kid. Yeah. And getting into bass is actually what changed my perspective a little bit because I like devoured every Green Day and Blink-182 bass line. And then I got into like the Rancids. I I went through all of it and then I kind of was like, okay, where else can I go? And my parents, my dad especially, loved that Donna Summer no, it's um, Thelma Houston. Thelma Houston. Thelma Houston. <laughs> Thank God I remembered that. He would have been so mad at me if I forgot. Um, <laughs> Thelma Houston loved that song, and I heard the bass line, and I, I just flipped out at it. And I brought it to my bass teacher to learn. For my, like, I was supposed to bring a song for each lesson I took, like yeah. what I learned how to play. And I remember so vividly I played that for him, and he was like, he looked at me, he was like, what happened to you? <laughs> you, you always bring cool music, and you show up with this? 
And he was like so not into it. I was like, this is a great bass line. And I, like, I really like it. And he was like, oh, my God. He was like, come back next week with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> but that was really the perception. That was like the early 2000s. And he was an older guy, of course. So like, you know, the, the disco sucks. We were talking about Zappa. And even Zappa was a very strong proponent of disco sucks. Yeah. Um, so but I it's sometimes not a- wonder, I don't know, Zappa... Zappa's tough because I wonder if Zappa did the disco sucks in the same way that like Primus sucks. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that Zappa was so and funny enough, we talked about there's some of this on Weird Al's first record. Zappa was in so many ways anti everything. Yeah. Like that's why he I mean. just it's hated like, everything. Everything that he did was a pastiche of something else in some way. Like he was just always poking fun at culture. I was gonna say, so he, disco was he huge enough. He did a whole album anti not? the Beatles. Like I'm not yeah. going to take him saying disco <laughs> sucks as an actual sign off on how he feels sure. about disco. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, no, Zappa is Zapp is a fascinating dude just in general. Every t- like he's someone I need more albums by because Everything that I've heard by him, I remember I was in a um, American music class was one of the college classes I took and it was just trying to cover the whole like landscape. And the Mm -hmm. only way you could take the American music class, this was kind of brilliant for the college. You couldn't take the American music class until you had taken the jazz class first Mm. because he was like, look, with with in. If I was to try to explain all of this, it would just be the jazz class. So you need to take the jazz class first to get a baseline yeah. of like where all of this beyond jazz stems. And then it was kind of like picking up at where jazz stopped into like everything from 1950s and beyond. But similarly to your bass classes, like each student had to bring in at least one song and teach a course on that song for a day. And mm-hmm. one kid brought in St. Alfonso's Breakfast. <laughs> It's St. Alfonso's friend. Pancake Breakfast. Oh, my God. And I was just like, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> like, the, yeah. like, that song is unbelievable. And that's when I, like, went home. Napster was still a thing, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I was like, let me get as much Frank Zappa as I can get real quick. I think Zappa is one of those characters who is, like, can be difficult to break into that world. Because he, like, exists in his own universe of stuff. And from the outside, it's very obtuse and strange but i generally believe that like i think almost anybody if you find the right entry song into that world you're in you can just you can fall into it and you can suddenly be like i get what this is i understand what he's going for and i want it all i can't now i can't get enough of it and i think you could say the same thing for weird al except that i don't think got a boogie is the entrance point song (laughs) for anybody i i don't think that (laughs) If you're somehow listening to this and have not heard a single Weird Al song, don't start with this one. (laughs) This is, we cannot recommend this as your first Weird Al track. It's, again, I think from a musical perspective, I think if anyone who's listening to this is is a musician, like pick up a guitar or a bass or whatever it is and try to play along with it and be impressed with how busy you can even hear it it's just it's all over the place musically it's really interesting to me i I enjoy it for that and i because of all the musical motion it doesn't feel long to me in the way that it does to you but i can understand why yeah because lyrically it's so (laughs) bare bones it's so but from the musical perspective like it's just all all my brain is doing as i'm listening to it is trying to hear all the different changes in the way it's moving and going like oh my god it's so fast so i think that that's the other big thing with got a boogie you know for the people who are listening the way that matt and i decided to at least do this album is that we're literally recording 13 episodes pretty much yes. back to back to back to back so we can get the whole album so i'm talking about this with an overview of all of the original songs on this entire album yes and obviously i already played my hand very early that this is my least favorite song on the album so you know that even though at the end of this episode, it's currently my number one original Al song, that will not be the case by like episode <laughs> five. 
But I think one of the other things that this song lacks for me from a musical standpoint, from a musical theory standpoint, it's awesome. Yeah. There are so many songs on this album, especially with the originals, where there is just a cavalcade of strange noises mixed in everywhere. (laughs) And this one is so kind of just straightforward. This is like, let's let our musicians really shine with what they can do. And I think it could have maybe used some like musical hand noises mixed in there and stuff. Like, I think it is. It does have the random yelling of the background vocals just going like, like that sort of thing just keeps happening. But for the most part, this is like a drums, bass and accordion shred fest. That's what this is. They they are just ripping riffs while Al sings these ridiculous lyrics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, we're we're at, at this point in time. After this episode, Matt, things get interesting mm. because right now yeah, this well, is both your and I's favorite original. But <laughs> it is, and for what it's worth, to play my hand a little bit, I, this is not my least favorite song on this record. Ooh, I'm not going to say where it falls, but I, I'm more <laughs> forgiving of this track than uh, than you, and probably most people really. Um, but I would I would recommend giving it a shot and listening to it with open ears just from that perspective because I, I it's just. Again, from that, from the instrumental side of things, it is so much fun. No, for sure. All right. Well, guys, this may have been a slightly shorter episode, but man, do we have a heavy hitter to break down next week. So We do. We do. <laughs> so you're going to go from what might be one of our shortest episodes to what could possibly be our longest <laughs> episode. We'll see. There's, there's, uh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to get into it. <laughs> All right. Until next week. Thanks. listening to the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.